Economy. We think of the word economics and money comes to mind, right? But there's much more to the word economy than just money. The fusion of oikia, meaning house, and namas, meaning law, the law of the house speaks of how an administration carries out the way it rules over a family, or a people, or an organization, or even a nation. What happens when God changes the economy? What happens when God chooses to run things differently than he had before? Hey, it's Andy, and this is the 77th episode of BNP, Biblical Narratives Podcast. Biblical detail, historical context that puts you in the action. Some will like it, many won't, especially those who seem to be doing well in the current system or economy. Picking up into today's episode, we will wrap up our time in Thessalonica where we see Paul and Silas on the run once again after explaining how God's economy has shifted. What happens to them? What happens to the others who had been impacted by Paul and Silas? Well, stick around. But first, many of you who listen to this podcast may not be aware that we started a small congregation out of our home just about two years ago. And we want you to know two things. Number one, we have a small but wonderful family of Christ followers who faithfully join us each Monday night. Yep, we do things on Monday nights. And and so if you're without a church family, then you might want to consider looking and checking us out. We Zoom together, but we also meet together in our home. And if you would like to learn more or just want to check us out, Zoom call information is on our website at nextsteps.org. N-E-X-T-E-P-S dot O-R-G. So, with that, let's get started. Rubbing the gunk out of his waking eyes, Silas then sits up and looks around to see an empty room. Oh, where did he run off to now? He wonders in his half-asleep mental state. I just can't keep up with this guy. Sizing up the small group of men huddling around the work area of a fabric merchant, Paul lets out a breath and walks over to them with new determination. The men turn to see the short man approach them. One of the men then turns to Jaden and says, Hey, speak of the devil. Here's one of the dissenters now. What do you want, heretic? Jaden taunts. The other men laugh. Showing little concern for the wall of bigger men that now surround him, Paul walks up to Jaden and says, Look, I know you take issue with me, and that's fine. Deal directly with me if I'm the problem. Jaden squares off to meet Paul's upward stare. Fine, I'll deal with you, he condescends. Pointing a finger directly in Jaden's face, Paul continues, But what you did to Dimitri... A man who has little to do with us. He didn't invite us here. He simply employs us and puts up with us. What are you even talking about? Jaden asks. What happened to Dimitri? Whether it was you or your brute squad, I'm not sure, Paul remarks. But to physically assault an older man, may God deal with you with the utmost severity. Jaden scratches his head. Yeah, I I still don't know what you're accusing me of here, but let's take another look at things, shall we? You're the problem in this scenario. You come into our city unannounced and certainly uninvited. And you want us to roll out a red carpet for you? A hero's welcome? 
You're a parasite, preying upon the synagogue with your own devious agenda. Edging closer with each word, Jaden comes within inches of Paul's face. With such a track record of sowing discord into other cities, he shakes his head. Well, I'd be careful if I were you. Hey, Dad, Jason asks his recuperating father. How are you feeling? Laying with his back propped up against the wall, Dimitri shrugs and says, I've felt better, son, he grunts as he struggles to get up. I've got a lot of work to do today, he says with a wince. No, 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 Dad, Jason says, as he and Paul and Silas gather around him to keep him from getting up. Let us carry the load today, Paul says. I owe you this much. Bah, Dimitri murmurs dismissively. I was ambushed and dealt a dozen cheap shots. Shaking his head in disgust, he continues, Put us in the gymnasium, and I would have taken any one of those lowlifes. Silas smiles at this as a knock comes at the door. Of that I have no doubt, he says. Jason guesses aloud, Aeneas, I'm taking bets. Paul looks over at him and shrugs. Opening the door to the stranger, Jason looks back at Paul with a questioning look and then back at the stranger. What can I do for you? I'm here to meet up with some friends, the stranger offers. Silas's eyes grow wide as he looks over at Paul. That sounds like Timothy. He walks over next to Jason, who holds the door and sees the smiling younger man standing just outside. Timothy, Silas says, it's you. Oh, great, Dimitri says. Just what we need, another one of them. Dipping a small flat cake into olive oil, Timothy shares. Yeah, Lydia is doing quite well and seems to have become more or less the mother of the believers that gather there. She's a natural leader and evangelist, all rolled up into one. Taking a bite, Timothy chews for but a moment before continuing. Even Cora has been faithfully showing up almost every evening. Wow, Silas says. Tell me God isn't up to something there. Looking over at Paul, Timothy begins grinning and says, Oh, Gaius and Luke were wrong. What do you mean? About what? Paul asks. Yeah, they bet me that you'd be in jail by the time I got here, Timothy says with a laugh. Dimitri looks up from his mat and mutters, Just give him another day. Paul chuckles at this and asks, What about the Doomviri? Have they bothered you guys at all? No, Timothy shares. They've stayed away from us altogether. They even took the two brothers? And well, let's just say they've been disciplined. Oh man, watching a flogging is never pleasant. He has shown you, O man, Silas recites, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Timothy nods. Rap, rap, rap. A knock comes at the door. An irritated Dimitri looks up at Jason and asks, Son, what is this? A hostel? I suppose we're going to feed this guy too. Dad, we've got this, Jason responds as he heads for the door. Things will settle down soon, I promise. Opening the door, Jason sees Aeneas furtively glancing up and down the street. What? Jason asks. No crowd today? Let me in, quickly, Aeneas whispers. Hey, what's going on? Jason asks as he recognizes a much more serious Aeneas. The two huddle to confer before addressing the others. Hey, Paul, Jason says. Something is up. Aeneas has news and we need to act quickly. Turning back to Jason for a moment, Paul nods with suspicion. Yeah, I know the drill, he says. Timothy, forgive me, but we're working on borrowed time. Things are heating up here just as they had in Philippi, and I suspect it won't be long before trouble finds us. 
You're going to have to catch me up, Timothy replies. I think I'm going to have to leave that to Jason for now, Paul says. Silas and I will be staying elsewhere for a bit. He looks back at Jason. Do they know we're coming? Yeah, it's all been arranged as a contingency plan, Jason responds. Just didn't know it would be needed so soon. Oh, by the way, you would do well to have money for these folks. Hey, that reminds me, Timothy speaks out as he pulls out a purse filled with coins. Lydia and the church sent this with me. Oh, wow, Silas says with a smirk. Our God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will indeed, Paul responds. Talk about your timing. Thank you for this, Timothy. Growing more anxious by the moment, Jason calls out, Guys, I hate to cut the reunion short, but you need to get out of here before things get worse for all of us. Grabbing his belongings, Paul walks over to the injured Demetri and says, Again, my friend, I'm terribly sorry about bringing this upon you. You didn't deserve any of this. Taking a moment to gather his thoughts, Dimitri looks up and says, It had better be worth it. Watch our God at work, my friend, Paul says as he and Silas move towards the door. Just wait and see. Wait, what should I be doing, Timothy asks. With one foot out of the door, Paul sticks his head back into the room and replies, Stay here for now. They don't know you or your face, so they're not going to be looking for you. We have a growing group of believers gathering here that need to be taught. Stick around and train them. He steps back into the room to hug his protege. But keep your head down and stay out of harm's way. As the sun sets over the western hills, the countless torches flicker above the heads of the crowd and light up the streets surrounding Jason's home. A single figure moves towards the door and calmly knocks. No answer. Jason, the voice calls out. We know you're in there, and we know that there are others with you. Still no response. Jason, we will be patient for but a moment, and we will deem no response from you as an act of treason against your countrymen and against Rome. The door finally creaks open. What do you want? A voice calls out from the darkness behind the door. We simply want the two who are staying with you, the voice says as the man comes into view. Hello, Jason, Jaden says. Where are you hiding them? Hiding who? Jason responds. Look around you, Jason, Jaden says. We will set this place ablaze in seconds, and there is no way that whoever's inside will make it out alive. I ask you, is that a way to treat your guests? They aren't here, Jason says. The men you're looking for, they've left the city. Oh, then you won't mind if we confirm this, will you? Jaden responds. Send every last one out. Once they are outside, some of the men will scour your house to find them. Fine, Jason says. Wait here, he closes the door. Within seconds, the door reopens and several individuals trickle out one by one. Coming back outside, Jason sneers at Jaden and asks, Are you happy now? Step aside, Jaden replies. He then nods for the men to enter the home. Jason begins, You know you won't get away with. Hey, Jaden, a voice calls out from the inside. We've got someone else. Jaden gives a wry smile as he moves towards the doorway. Hey, that's just my dad, Jaden yells out. You've roughed him up once already. Frightened for his father, Jason goes back into the home to intervene. With no more than two steps, Jason comes to a painful halt when he feels a heavy tug against his garment. Oh, I don't think so, buddy, the voice says. You ain't going nowhere. Agitated by the mistreatment of Jason, Aeneas yells out. Hey, get your hands off that guy. 
He dashes over to help when he too is grabbed from behind and thrown to the ground. Seeing the two manhandled by his militiamen, a satisfied Jaden looks back at the mob and says, Men, we'll find the culprit soon enough, but I think we have what we need for now. Let's pay the authorities a visit. Several raise their torches and call out in victory. The dark and cavernous stoa brightens as a wave of torchlight fills into its columned hallways. Your honors, Jaden announces as he leads the parade of torch-bearing townspeople towards the city officials. The politarchs look at one another, suddenly fearing the idea of a portending riot. One official quickly estimates the crowd to be made up of several hundreds of men. He leans over to the other and says, What's our escape plan should things go south? The other waves off his concern and yells out to the mob's leader. What's the meaning of this? You have pulled us away from our homes to what? A riot? Do you realize how Rome will view this treachery? My lords, Jaden offers as he bows before them. We pose no threat to you. You're in safe quarters with all of us. Then why are we here? Both of the officials firmly ask. Jaden signals for his men to throw Jason and Aeneas to the ground in front of the officials. Both grunt as they land within inches of the city's authorities. These are the reason, my lords, Jaden responds. Vaguely recognizing Jason, one of the officials looks back at Jaden and says, I know this man. He's a merchant. What wrong has he committed? He's a threat to Rome, Jaden says bluntly. Both officials look back at Jason in surprise. Jaden responds, They harbor two convicted men who have plagued the world. They were run out of many cities in Asia before being driven out of Philippi, and now they have come here to make trouble for us. Looking at the men on the ground, one of the officials asks, What kind of trouble? Feeling well rehearsed for this very moment, Jaden takes a beat before making his case. My lords, as you know, we Jews have lived peaceably among you for years without causing a fuss. Living agreeably under the laws handed down to us by Emperor Claudius himself, we have dutifully supported the city and its economy, making Thessalonica more wealthy than it's ever been. He lets this sink in before continuing. The men before you are only part of the problem. They are merely accomplices and may be unknowingly duped into consuming the lies that have been fed to them. No, the much bigger problem is about the ones these two have welcomed into our city. The crowd breaks out into a murmur of conversations. Quiet down, the official yells out to the mob, evaluating the men forcibly held to the ground and then skeptically back at Jaden. Where are these bigger problems then? Furthermore, what is their crime? Sirs, what is on the verge of happening here has already happened elsewhere, Jaden announces. You know of the case of Alexandria, yes? Emperor Claudius himself responded fiercely against the dissension that escalated between the Jews and the Greeks there. He warned of a swift and harsh response to that city should they not resolve the hostilities between them. The problem, your honors, is that we Jews were living peaceably with the citizens of that city until men posing as Jews came from Syria into Alexandria and spread their falsehoods among the citizenry, dividing them against one another along the way. Yes, we're familiar with what happened in Alexandria, one of the officials responds. So what of it? What has happened in Alexandria, my lords, is now upon us here, Jaden shoots back. 
These are the Syrians. They abandoned the decrees of Claudius because they have pledged themselves to another king, their king, Jesus. We're going to stop here for today. While Paul and Silas are able to stay out of harm's way here in Thessalonica, Jason and Aeneas are now in hot water for abetting the insurrectionists from Syria. They have come here to bring division to a Roman city and destroy the relationships that have been well established for years. Well, at least that is how some might paint this picture. But we would do well to peel the onion back and see what the other layers expose. One such layer is the dynamic of Greeks who had converted to Judaism. These were non-Jewish people who were attracted to the God of the Jews. So they would commit themselves to adhere to the law of Moses. However, in the Jewish mind, they were deemed as second-class citizens who would be afforded very limited privileges and opportunities within the Jewish community. Gentiles, or non-Jews, were not on equal footing with those who could claim authentic Jewish ancestry. So, favoritism would be granted to those possessing a Jewish family lineage over those who had no such claims. Of course, those Greeks having no Jewish interests at all would be regarded as even lesser than the Greeks who had converted. But then again, they didn't really care if they were accepted by Jews or not. For certain, there was a pecking order of importance within Jewish society. And as you might imagine, when Jesus gave the parable of a landowner who leased his farm out to certain tenants who were supposed to care and manage his farm while he was away, he was explaining the deeper truth of how the kingdom of heaven would be ripped out from the hands of Jewish leadership, present company included, and given to a people with no qualifications whatsoever, including non-Jews. In Matthew 21, 43-46, it reads like this, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, the Jewish leaders listening to him, and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls it will scatter them like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because the crowd considered him to be a prophet. Those in Jewish leadership weren't too enthusiastic about Jesus' parable. Deeply insulted by the parable aimed directly at them, they in turn sought to kill him right then and there. Now, while there's much more to say here, I think you get the idea. God was just about to change how things were run amongst the people of Israel. One such major shift would be in the way that Gentiles would be recipients of the kingdom of heaven, just as the Jews. No more favoritism. No more pecking order. Paul explains how the inclusion of Gentiles would play an important role in God's unveiling of his kingdom plan. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6-9, through 9, this is the way that Paul describes it. He says it this way, And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, the gospel of the new covenant, share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news, though I am the least deserving of all God's people. 
He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Naturally, those who were not Jewish would have been very excited about the prospect of being seen as equals in the sight of God. It also would hold true that those who were Jewish would become a bit jealous about the elevated standing of non-Jews. So, when Paul and Silas, as well as other believers from Antioch, traveled from synagogue to synagogue to share God's new covenant plan, those established Jews were insulted by the idea of losing their personal status. They weren't about to let these Christ followers change their traditions or the economic system they worked so hard to build and thrive within. They were not going down without a huge fight. Just as those evangelistic believers from Antioch weren't well received in Alexandria, Paul and Silas found the same response in the synagogues they visited. Those threatened by Messiah's coming and God's unveiling of a new house law, a new economy, would stop at nothing to eradicate these evangelists, even if that meant dragging them before Roman officials and labeling them as insurrectionists. That was the strategy used by Jewish leaders before Pilate, and it would end up being the strategy used against the early church. And if you want to look a little bit deeper, you can look at Luke chapter 23, 13 through 25, and then also John 19, 12 through 16. Now, one thing is sure. The message that Messiah had come to level the playing field was not received well by many. The opportunity to be permanently forgiven and indwelled by the Spirit of God, no matter the bloodline, was truly a radical notion, especially amongst those who were Jewish. What do you do when your infrastructure is threatened? When you have flourished, especially due to the hard work that has allowed you to advance within an economic system, what happens within you when the whole system is being changed before your very eyes? Yeah, you fight to keep the present system going because you don't want to see all of your invested work go by the wayside. That was definitely the mindset of those who ran in Jewish circles, and it is definitely the mindset of many in America today. We're understandably threatened by an overhauling system, especially when we stand to lose so much. That just got really uncomfortable. I know. And while I'm certainly not saying that the changes happening in America today are to be compared with the good news about the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, I'm simply pointing out how those who have worked so hard and stand to lose so much would genuinely be upset about having to start over under a new system. One more important thing here. Economies have shifted and systems have greatly changed over the years. In each and every system, some of which have been far better than others. No question about that. God has called us to be nimble and adaptive so that we may continue to be used of him for a kingdom purpose that is far greater than any of the economies found on earth, no matter which economy we find ourselves in. Our citizenship isn't here on earth. We work for a heavenly kingdom. Guys, we are ambassadors here, so our attachment to earthly economies... It really needs to stay in check. May you remain nimble and adaptive in what appears to be a rapidly changing economy, where you keep your eyes ever focused on the continuing movement of God. I promise, God is alive and well, even with the threat of so many changes that loom on the horizon. 
Stay focused. Stay singular-minded and be ready to pivot when you see God move. And with that, let's move forward together. Together.